You're listening to Alumni Allowed, a new podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career and the advice they would give current students. This series is sponsored by the Office of Career Planning and Professional Development at the Graduate Center. Today, I went across town to CBS Studios to meet with one of our graduates who is an associate producer for 60 Minutes. Andy Bast got his Master's of Arts in Political Science in 2009. He talks with us about how he landed his job and how his time at the Graduate Center helped his career. He also offers some advice on how to leverage your skills from graduate school in a competitive market. My name is Andy Bast, and I am an associate producer at 60 Minutes, which is a news magazine of CBS News. It's on every Sunday night. It's been around for almost 50 years. And my job includes going out and finding stories, uh, finding characters, reporting stories, uh, and then doing all the television production work, which is setting up shoots, directing shoots, um, you know, bringing all that material back, then going through all the material, uh, editing it, writing a script, and hoping to somehow get it on TV every Sunday night. That, that sounds like a lot of work, um, and very exciting work, too. I was really excited to come into the office today. So let's talk about your graduate school experience. What did you go to the Graduate Center for? So I had been working uh, in media in New York for a while, and I was a freelance journalist, and um, I knew that I wanted to do something more in journalism, but I wasn't sure what the next step was. And the political science department at CUNY had a specialization in writing politics, and it was kind of this, we'll teach you master's level political science, but at the same time, uh, we'll make sure that you don't get lost in some kind of academic writing, you know, writing 25 page, um, you know, political science papers, but we'll make sure that your, the education that you're getting is going to help you write op-eds or write magazine articles. So it seemed like the perfect fit for me. And so I spent two years there and wrote a master's thesis and focused on international relations. But the whole time, everything that I was doing at the Graduate Center in the Political Science Department, I was trying to channel back into journalism. So I kind of went in with the goal of figuring out how the graduate degree could help me professionally. Um, So I knew that going in. But then along the way, uh, I got an internship at Newsweek over the summer uh, because I just kind of did four straight semesters. And I, you know, really used everything from the, from the Graduate Center that I could to make myself, you know, a better journalist and more informed in what I was, what I was doing. So that's, that's really what I took from the program. So you didn't originally plan on going into TV. You were thinking about more writing? No, things. back then it was, I, I wanted to be a print journalist. I wanted to be a writer. And I had done freelancing for a bunch of newspapers in New York. And then I got the gig at Newsweek and went to work there for a while. But, you know, journalism and media in the United States is changing so much now that eventually Newsweek kind of went out of business. And I went over to the Council on Foreign Relations and worked for their magazine Foreign Affairs for a while. And there I was doing more editing and then kind of, you know, you use each job to build onto the next one. And then, you know, somehow I ended up over at 60 Minutes and now I'm producing television. Although, uh, I would, I'll definitely argue that. A lot of the research skills and, you know, writing skills and just the, 
the intellectual tools that you get in something like a master's program, at least for me, have ended up, you know, completely informing the way that I produce television. You know, it's 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 completely. It seems like two entirely different worlds, but the, I just don't think that they are. You know. So the the graduate degree that you got really complements the kind of work you do in TV. Yeah, I, I mean, most people get graduate degrees to go write a, write a thesis or go on mm-hmm. to become a professor or something like that. And I think that, um, well, I guess this is the point of the whole podcast, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, like folks can go and use their degrees to do other things. It's not easy, though. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it wasn't... It, it wasn't necessarily, oh, now I have a master's degree, so you know CBS News is going to think that I'm going to be the, you know, a great producer and I, they're going to bring me on. But I do think that going and getting the advanced degree was easily, it was very, it was, it was easy to translate those skills and make them applicable to some other field. How did you communicate that in, say, your resume or your cover letter? What, did you think a lot about that, how you would angle your research skills into a TV production? So it, it didn't really matter. Um, because and this is there's something good about. Um, do you want to wait for that to go by? No, we I'm have so, it in. Oh, okay. Some other ones too. Um, you're in New York City. There's uh-huh. no escaping New York it's, City in the very sirens. Realistic. <laughs> um, no, and here's what what was what's particular I think about journalism is that you know you could have a bunch of different degrees, but this is a field I think that just really relies on the actual work that you've done, right? So I think that. In television production or in in journalism more broadly, you know, at the top of my resume right now says, you know, has the top stories that I've done and the ones that I'm most proud of. And actually, and I shouldn't say this because I'm very proud of the time at CUNY, uh, my education's actually at the bottom. But I don't think that's a function of the schools that I went to. I, in fact, I know that it's not. It's just that when I looked at kind of what I'd done and the education that I had and the job that I was going after, it was, you know, marketing yourself or selling yourself or just presenting yourself to the people who might want to hire you. Mm-hmm. You need to think about what they're most interested in. And the thing in journalism is, well, what have you done? You know, what, what articles have you written? What news have you broke? What, what you know, uh, what have you edited? What, have you, what projects have you put together? And because those projects tell so much about you in the same way that a dissertation would tell so much about you when you go out on the job market, um, that was what I kind of put at the top. So how do I square that with what I just said, that you know, it really matters that I got the master's degree? The master's degree, I, I really think, you know, having been out of the program for a couple of years, that it was the tools that I got there that allow me to do better work now. You know, it's, I don't need to, or I'm not putting forward, you know, Andrew Bast MA or anything like that, because it's just, uh, it helps me on a day-to-day basis with the work that I've done so it's, it's almost like, I don't want to make it sound like too functional or too utilitarian that I just kind of went and got these job skills and now I've become an accountant or something like that. <laughs> but it really, uh, I feel like taking the, the new kind of knowledge and know-how from the program was what I got most out of uh, CUNY and then translating that into some other job field. And can you talk more about how you built these skills that you're finding so useful now in the job market? What did you do in graduate school that really that you benefited from most? You know, I, it surprised me after I got out of graduate school that I didn't even really realize the skills that I had. So, you know, you sit down to write, I've never written a dissertation, probably never will, thank God, but, <laughs> you know, even writing a master's thesis, which is, you know, something like 75 pages of, you know, 
quite a bit of research. You know, that process, while you're stuck in it, you know, it's kind of like a morass and you're, you're trying to get through and you're doing all of the work and it's really difficult. Um, but the, you know, the skills, the research skills, the organizational skills, and then the, the writing and presentation skills that you come up with, when I left, I almost didn't even realize how much I had, you know, taken on, how much I had learned. So then when I stepped into a couple of jobs afterwards where folks hadn't necessarily gone through that process, it became very clear that, oh, wow, I can go, I can spend five days on a subject, collect everything on it, basically um, catalog it, divide it, organize it, understand it, and then lay it out in, in a methodical way. And you had taken it for granted previously. <laughs> and completely taken it for granted. Sure. When when folks around me then would look and they'd mm -hmm. say, you know, you did a good job on that. You know, now let's move on to the next one. When I didn't even realize that this was such, you know, like something that was really, really valuable. Um, so I think for, you know, my one of the suggestions I would make is, you know, while you're in the graduate program, there are so many things that you're getting really good at that the a lot of the rest of the world isn't very good at. And if you recognize those things in yourself and, and those abilities that you have, then, you, you know, if you go out and you decide that you don't want to go to the academy or you want to find a different type of job, those skills can become really valuable. Uh, can you talk about your teaching experience and how teaching in the CUNY system also gave you some good professional skills development? I got to teach two semesters at Baruch, the American foreign policy class there, which I loved because I loved the subject matter. And there were a gazillion students you, you've taught, I've, anyone who would listen to this has probably taught to. Mm -hmm. So you have like 40 students and it's insane. And it's like, you know, at eight o'clock at night and everyone's tired and everyone works another job. And, um, and I loved all of that. I, I, the experience was great. Um, but it, get, it kind of follows on the point that I was just making about the research and organization. Teaching, um, well, there's two things. One is, you know, if you can organize an entire syllabus over um, you know, an entire semester. The way I thought about it, I never wrote a book, but I always thought, wow, you know, when I'm putting together a syllabus, really what I'm doing is putting together an outline for a book. Mm -hmm. you know, the, mm -hmm. Here's your 14 weeks or whatever it is, and here are the main themes that you're going to ex address, and if you're putting even half a brain into the course that you're teaching, then you've kind of got an overarching argument that you're gonna be making over the course of the semester. Well, that sounds to me like the makings of a book. you know. And anyone who can sit down and plan out a semester and then keep the students engaged in a way that they get from the beginning to the middle and the end, I mean, that's, that's a heck of a skill set to come up with. So, it, you know, that's kind of the same as what I was saying on the research front. The other thing, though, and I, this is something that I really tried to make the most of when I was teaching, is no matter what you go into later, whether it's you know, journalism or, if, of course, if you're going to become a teacher or a professor, um, but it really doesn't matter. You know, whatever field you go into, you're going to need to be able to capture people's attention and keep them engaged. And there is no better training than standing up in front of those 40 students at 8 o'clock every Tuesday and Thursday night, you know, at Baruch where everybody's been working, that you need to learn how to talk to people in a way that completely draws them in and keeps them there. And I tried to make the most of that because I, I hadn't done a lot of it. Um, and you don't get an opportunity to just kind of practice getting up in front of a lot of people all the time and talking and having to 
look good, sound good, and deliver on the material, you know, serious intellectual material that you're trying to engage. Um, so that was the other thing that I did with teaching was I really tried to get up every evening and like, you know, not put on a show, but like do the best I could so that, um, you know, I could get that practice and it's paid off because then, you know, whatever you do professionally after that, you're always in front of people. You always want to keep their attention. You know, you don't want to be a bore. You don't want to be, you know, sound dumb. You don't want to, you know, uh, uh, become some kind of fool because, you know, then you don't get hired or you don't get your story on the air or whatever it is, you know. Uh, you're right. The teaching, uh, at the very least, gives you practice with public speaking, which some people never practice until their job asks them to do it all of a sudden. So and it's not easy. Very to, it's not easy to, to do either. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I was thinking back to you participated in, in our event, our panel called Careers in Media and Communications. Um, a couple weeks ago, and you were speaking about, you were talking to students who were in, from, came from all fields who wanted to get into media, and your advice was to become an expert on what you're good at. Can you speak more about that for our listeners who weren't able to make the panel? There were, so I've worked with a lot of really, really great journalists at, the, at this point, you know, being in 60 Minutes is spectacular. These are the best journalists in all of in all of journalism. And Newsweek was a great place, and the Council on Foreign Relations was great. And you know, a lot of there are a lot of folks in journalism who have journalism degrees. You know, the Columbia uptown has a great master's in journalism. The CUNY system has a journalism program. But I think I'd argue that the best journalists that I've worked with are people who either did, you know, like by practice, or studied something other than journalism. So they went out and they decided, you know, I want to learn about business. Or they were a business person. Or they became an attorney and practiced as an attorney for several years. And then came to journalism or turned to journalism after that. I'm not saying you know, journalism programs are, are no good. Of course they're great. You know, you have to learn about fairness and accuracy and all the things that um, that are the tenets of, of what we do. But I feel like when I went and studied um, political science and international relations, when I came out of there and was working on the foreign desk at Newsweek, you know, I could sit down to a story and I could know what questions needed to be asked because I knew how the subject matter worked. If we were doing a story on the, the General Assembly of the United Nations or if we were doing a story on you know, um, you know, violence in Africa, I knew the structure of uh, the United Nations and the way it was governed because I took Weiss's class. <laughs> I knew it in and out. Uh, you know, conflict and civil war in, in, in Africa, I had spent an entire semester studying. So you know, when I came to edit you know, a thousand word article in, in, in Newsweek one week, which you know, folks are gonna read, I felt like I had a baseline knowledge on what I was doing, you know, in addition to, you know, getting the words right and being accurate and fair, which are, you know, purely journalistic skills. And what tips um, for those that aren't focusing on journalism now? We've got, they're either in a master's program or a, a PhD program at the Graduate Center. Um, if they want to get into media, what kind of recommendations would you um, make for them, maybe to develop their writing? Yeah, I think I think it's all about writing. Okay. Even even if, you know, 
and this isn't this isn't me saying this. This is you know the folks here at 60 Minutes and the way this place was built and the way CBS News was built was you know on on you know really hard fearless journalism. But what this place prides itself on, and I see it, is that they, these journalists are spectacular writers. And whether you're writing, you know, we're sitting here at a desk where there are 60 minute scripts, you know, like sitting around, this is what was on TV last night. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that writing, which is, you know, six pages, um, which turns into 12 and a half minutes on Sunday night, um, I am 100% convinced that this is just as hard to write as a 250 page dissertation. There, it's writing is very very hard across the board, and if you can write a dissertation, it doesn't mean you can write a sixty minute script. If you can write a sixty minute script, it doesn't mean you can write a dissertation. But boy, if you get to a place where you could write a dissertation and you could write a really solid op ed that a newspaper would publish, and you could write, um, I don't know, campaign materials if you're involved in politics, if you the the more formats and uh, uh, venues and um, different styles of writing that you can master, well, you don't ever really master them, but mm-hmm. uh, that you can get good at, it just, it's the key to everything else. I'm, I'm convinced of that up and down. And what's the best way for graduate students to practice these other types of writing since they're mainly doing academic writing? Um, is to just do it. And you're going to be really bad at it. I think I tried to make this point the other night when in the when we had our talk. But mm-hmm. writing as look, everybody in a graduate program has to write a lot. So we all already understand how hard it is. You know, it's very hard mm-hmm. to sit down with an empty page and start writing sentences and make paragraphs and then make chapters and make it all make sense. It's that we all know how hard that is. So if we accept that it's just going to be hard and a lot of it that we do is going to be really bad. Well, then you should have no fear whatsoever of branching out and trying to write, you know, whatever else it is that you enjoy. You know, if you enjoy politics, you know, try writing some analysis pieces. Try writing something in a thousand words that a newspaper would publish. If you um, really enjoy poetry and music, try writing some songs, you know. If they're um, trying to think of what another great look People love to read personal essays, you know. If you enjoy thinking about your own life and reflecting on what you do, start a blog and write really honestly, you know, which would just draw on so many other skills that you've got other than, you know, explaining the literature review of this particular field. I mean, just imagine if you do that for a few days, right? And then on the weekends, you actually sit and you turn out, you know, eight or ten blog posts you know, about things that had happened to you. Publish them or not, but still, you're still going to be walking through all of these skills of taking your ideas and putting them into words, which is so hard, but the more that you do it, the better you'll get at it. And I think that, I think that's true for going into any field, because I think we all rely on writing so much, but certainly, if you're going to go into any kind of media, the better you can express yourself in the written word, the better off you're going to be. Good. And um, just to clarify, I was wondering earlier, what was your um, master's thesis on? What was the specific topic? I w- let me let me see if I can remember exactly <laughs> the year that I wrote it. I wrote it in um, two thousand and late two thousand eight and early two thousand nine, and 
it was in international relations and the title of it was stability operations something like the challenges and costs of state building in Afghanistan and so you know in 2008 2009 this was the end of um, you know the drawdown in Iraq was happening Obama had just been elected and he was um, I don't know if you remember, but he, he, he pulled this fast one where he basically deployed more troops to Afghanistan at the same time he said that they were going to come back. And I thought that that was, a, that was just such a complicated policy decision. And I was wondering at the time what in the world those soldiers were going to accomplish. So inside the, the Army, they had just developed this new doctrine called stability op- Sorry stability operations, which is essentially, you know, how soldiers can do state building. And so I basically took that manual, which was, I don't know, a couple hundred pages maybe, and went through it applying everything that, you know, uh, um, political scientists had have, have figured out about state building and about civil war and about, you know, how civil wars end and how you reconstruct states afterwards. And so I basically did a critical reading of what the military was doing in Afghanistan using political science. Um, and, uh, and it was great to, you know, to sit down and, and write that through. I had, I had a really good time. And do you have plans to, it, it sounds like maybe this is not something you're currently working on still, but have you thought about turning your research into a book? Or are there any plans to continue I, writing in that way? I think that the research that I did, I think, is probably dated, right? Um, what I, one thing that I did do was I, I managed to convince the editor of a smart, uh, a really smart international affairs kind of website to be published. I, w- I was writing a weekly column for them as I was doing my master's thesis. So I would write a chapter and then I would kind of adapt it into a 1200 word column for them. So I was kind of publishing a lot of that material I kind of published at the same time as oh, I as I finished the master's idea. thesis, mm-hmm. um, I think <laughs> if I were a lot smarter, <laughs> if I was a lot smarter than I am, I think that that time um, in American foreign policy of early Obama of drawing down Iraq and escalating in Afghanistan, I'm sure that there is a spectacular book to be written about the decisions that they made and what the military did. And the other great thing about doing stories, you know, like about the military was the Pentagon turns out so much of its own research and over that period was doing so much soul searching about what it would what it was doing that they were doing I remember sitting on the uh, in the political science department one day researching and I found this website where they had interviewed like it it must have been three or four hundred officers who had participated in the war in Afghanistan. And each interview was like this. It was like an hour long, and they had transcribed all of them. And I was like, the research is done. Oh, my God. You know, all I need to do, no one else in the world is going to read all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, all of that kind of material is out there on this period of time. and now you're now you're really making me mad because it does sound kind of like a fun project to go back and take a really deep dive into because you know I was kind of writing it in real time trying to assess what they'd be able to do and what they wouldn't be able to do and now of course you would have um, 
here, here's where I'm going to prove that I'm not a really good social scientist because I still don't understand all the independent causal variables or whatever. But now that it's kind of shook itself out mm -hmm. and, you know, we've largely withdrawn, you could have the yardstick of what happened in Afghanistan and then you could go back and check on what happened or what didn't. That'd be a great book to write. Okay. <laughs> so um, uh, going back to landing this current job that you have, what were some maybe challenges you had in applying to jobs or maybe um, some wins that you had and uh, some opportunities that came about? Like how, what helped you get here, specifically the job? Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay. I don't know if it's true to just journalism. It might be, I guess it's probably true in any field. I don't know about in academia. But I found that in journalism, moving up has never, never necessarily been about finding a job posting and sending in your resume and then kind of going in for the interview and getting the job. Um, so in coming to 60 Minutes, I think I, I had identified it as a place that I wanted to come to. And once I did that, I did a lot of research on my own to figure out kind of who ran the place, who, who was in charge, um, and what the jobs there were like. And then I just kind of put my best foot forward. And I knocked right on the door, and I said, here's who I am. Um, I have no idea if you have any open jobs. Um, but here's who I am. Here's what I've done. Uh, you know, I've gone to school. I've done a lot of writing. Here, I've worked at Newsweek. And, um, you know, do you think we could talk? And from and that, that initial kind of letter that I wrote um, got me a meeting, and we, I had a meeting with uh, one of the bosses over here. And then I think it, it took maybe like two years, maybe two and a half years, until I finally actually got a job here. And I, I ended up talking to a lot of people here. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I just don't think it's ever kind of an overnight thing, you know, especially if you're going after a job you really want. It's going to take a while to get there. Um, but if you have the place that you want to be or a couple of places that you want to be, um, I think you just have to be relentless because they're not going to come find you. You know, you've really just got to go out and, and decide what you want to get and kind of keep bugging them until they'll, you know, let you come in. And then, you know, if it's the right, if it's the right type of job for you and it's the right next thing in your life, I, I do believe that, you know, there's a little bit of serendipity in these things that, you know, if you're making the right decision and you see you know, I want to be in this, I want to be in this field or I want to go work. You know, I could imagine somebody listening to this, you know, coming out of the Graduate Center and being super smart on some certain topic and wanting to go, you know, work in a museum. You know, so you identify like the four museums. I mean, if there's not a job there now, there's no reason not to introduce yourself and make sure that you're the person that they're thinking of when that job does open. And you spoke a little bit about this at the panel too, that um, that you you feel like you should find your fit and then wait. Did you express it that way, if I remember correctly? Well, there's I think there's two things. One is uh -huh. you should find where you want to go uh -huh. and try and go there. But then, and that's kind of the really positive message, you know, <laughs> you, just, you know, like choose your place and you know head for it. But then the the, the kind of downside of that is that there's a good chance that when they do call, the job is not going to pay what you wanted or it's not going to be exactly the job you wanted. And if you're in a place in your life where you can do that, you know, you might, you know, take less money or you might, uh, you know, work different hours than you th it would be ideal for you, you know, if you don't have, you know, like 
kids or mortgages or things like that, you have a little bit more freedom, then I would suggest completely doing it. Because once you get inside someplace, okay. then you can, you, know, you can do anything after that. Because then you don't have to worry about sending letters and getting a meeting. You just walk down the hallway and you start talking to the people in the organization that you respect and that you think are great. And then you just build the relationships once you're on the inside. Now, of course, sometimes you, know, you have to make the money that you're going to make and you, know, you don't have that freedom. But if you do... You know, I'd suggest just trying to get into an organization. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, you know, then you can do a lot more. Great, great. What do you now know that you wish you had known as a graduate student? <laughs> That's a How great question. That one? Yeah? That's a great question. Okay. And let me think. Um, I wish I knew my work and research in graduate school was very important, but I shouldn't let it become more in my head than it actually is because I know that being there when I was there it was like it's just the whole world you know like the entire research and the entire field is all way but the fact of the matter is it's not and I think that if I would have given myself a little bit more wiggle room and kind of you know moved through things that I would have lessened the kind of, you know, this kind of impossible bar on yourself and that would free, you know, that I think I could have freed myself up to kind of explore a little bit more and not been so rigid and so, you know, unforgiving in, in the field. And look, that's part of the academy, you know, the way that it's so specialized and that's part of the way that it's set up. But I'll tell you, on reflection and looking back, I, I, I don't think that that was the that wasn't the best way to go about it. I understand it's the nature of the system. I think most students feel like that, yeah. that they're, you have so much tunnel vision on your thesis or your dissertation mm -hmm. that you forget there's other things you could be working on. Even though I, I haven't gone into the academy, you know, the people that I've looked at who I admire, like the top dogs in big fields at the best schools, you know, those aren't the people, I would argue, most of the time who are completely tunnel visioned into one tiny little thing. Mm -hmm. They're the people who understand their field chapter and verse, but then are, you know, have, have a view that goes way beyond maybe even their, their entire field, right? Like those are the people who become really interesting scholars. You know, it's not the person who, I don't want to single out any one thing, but you know, like in political science, then you get into like a subfield and then you get down into like this super specialization and like, it's not only a dissertation, but look 20 or 30 years down the road, like the deeper into the rabbit hole that you go, it just seems like you're having a conversation with fewer and fewer people. Mm -hmm. And even at the graduate level, like the more you're able to stand up, and this is, I'm trying to answer your question and what I wish I kind of would have done was, mm -hmm. you know, if I was able to look around and look wider more often, I think I could have. Got, I had a great time at CUNY, and it was wonderful. But I think I could have gotten even more if I would have given myself the freedom to do that. And I don't think that it would have come at the cost of good scholarship or good research, research in any way. Mm -hmm. I totally understand what you mean by that, I and mean, I think that'll relate to a lot of <laughs> people listening to this. 
A big thanks to Andy Bass for taking time to share that advice and his experiences with us today. He has been an active participant in our Career Advance at the Graduate Center, so if you want to attend one for yourself and hear from more graduates in person, you should check out our Twitter, Facebook, or website for event announcements and updates. You can also enjoy more of our episodes of Alumni Loud, where we bring our graduates' stories to you. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or your other favorite podcatcher, and you'll automatically be notified of new episodes. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CareerPlanGC. Thanks for listening.